0: Hebrews chapter 7, I want to point out especially verse 12, where we read, for the priesthood being changed. The priesthood being changed. And then verse 24, but this man hath an unchangeable priesthood. So there's a priesthood that has been changed, and there is a priesthood that is unchangeable. And so we're talking about that tonight, the priesthood being changed. We read Hebrews chapter 7, and you're probably asking, what is this long chapter all about? This Melchizedek, why so long upon him? And so much about him. So much emphasis about him. Well it's to show. That the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Has been changed. That it has been forever changed. And it's been so changed. That it can never revert back again. To the old priesthood. That the changed priesthood that Jesus Christ has. Is an eternal priesthood. Now, the Apostle Paul has already mentioned Melchizedek. He did that in chapter 5. And we saw that in verse 10 of chapter 5. He said, they're called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's introducing that latter verse in Psalm 110. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. And then he leaves him. And he comes back to him again at the last verse in chapter 6. And then the whole of chapter 7. He was sidetracked, you remember. He began to rebuke them about their dullness and their inattentiveness to the word of God. And he went off on a track after that. You see, he evidently feels that he should not really have to keep telling these Hebrew believers that we have a high priest in heaven. If they would only be more attentive to the prophecies of Scripture, if they wouldn't be so dull of hearing the preaching of the Word of God and the study of the Word of God, he wouldn't have to keep doing this. And especially their understanding of Psalm 110. I think he feels that they should already have an understanding of Psalm 110. After all, they sing it regularly. It's clear that they are familiar with it and yet he has to go through the exposition of it and give a whole epistle, more or less, to it. The Hebrews, then ought not to be surprised that the earthly high priest is being bypassed, that the iron high priest is being bypassed, that the temple is being bypassed. They ought not to be surprised that the tabernacle and the temple are past, that they belong to the shadows, that they're really obsolete, that they are passing away and that the reality has come in the Lord Jesus Christ because the Old Testament has set that forth and it's as if Paul is saying I'm not bringing in anything new here I'm not making this up I'm only showing you what's in the Bible I'm only showing you what's in the Psalms and especially what is so clearly revealed in Psalm 110 so that's where Paul has spent most of his time in this epistle. In Psalm 110. And you remember how it starts. David is saying the Lord said unto my Lord. David has two lords. He has a Jehovah God. And then he has this Lord also. Who is a son as well. The Lord is David's son Messiah. And Messiah isn't going to reign in Jerusalem. He's going to reign in heaven. And he's going to reign at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of God, because the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make all thine enemies thy footstool. So he doesn't reign on a tabernacle on earth. He doesn't reign in a temple on earth. He's never going to reign on a tabernacle on earth except in the new heavens and in the new earth when he reigns in the midst of his people. But in the meantime, Until all the church of the redeemed are brought in. He reigns in heaven. He reigns in the temple above. He reigns from the throne of God. And he's not only the king reigning at the right hand of God on this throne. But he's reigning as a priest. Because it says also in verse 4 of that psalm. The same Jehovah. Notice it. The same Jehovah that said to him. Sit thou on my right hand. Until I make thine enemies the footstool. The same Jehovah says. The Lord hath sworn. And will not repent. Thou art a priest forever. An eternal priest. After the order of. Melchizedek. And that's why he spends so long on Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7 because it's in the Old Testament it's in the Bible that's what he is now at the right hand of God he's a priest not after the order of Aaron not after the order of Levi not a Mosaic priesthood but a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek Psalm 110 has said there will be a change of priesthood So it's in the Bible. Paul's not making it up. He's not introduced some new religion, some man-made religion. No, it's in the Old Testament Scriptures. It's been revealed to the Jews. And every Christian knows that Psalm 110 is fulfilled in Christ. Now in the early days of Christianity, before the Lord sent the Romans... To reduce the temple to rubble. And to end forever. The iron priesthood. And it can't be restored. Because all the genealogical records are lost. They're gone. They're destroyed. They can never be found. And so they can never set up a priesthood again. From the house of Levi. No Jew knows their roots. No Jew knows what tribe he's from. Because all the genealogical records. That they so carefully kept. For hundreds and hundreds of years. Are all destroyed. And unless they get the the Urim and the Thummim, and, and we don't even know what that is, to reveal the genealogical, it's not going to take place, it's not going to happen. So the ironic priesthood has done away for good. But in the days of the early Christianity, the temple was still there, and the converted Jews they, they struggled with some of these things. They found it hard to let go of the shadows. Until they were finally removed in AD 70. And the shadows are no more now. We just have them in the text of the book. That's all. You can't go and visit the shadows anymore. You'll never see a high priest anymore again. They're gone. The shadows are gone. And they'll never be restored. But as I say. Whenever Paul's writing. They still remain. And Hebrew Christians. They have to be continually exhorted. About the present reality in Jesus Christ. Not going, as it were, not giving up on that. And not taking hold of the shadows. You see, the Christians began to get thrown out of the synagogues. Of course, that meant they got through out of temple worship as well. And they didn't have all those privileges that the Jews had in, in the law and in the temple. And they were wondering, oh, what have we given up here? You can see this, this is visible. And the Catholic kept being, being exhorted. Look, the priesthood has been changed. And we have a high priest in heaven. And it's after the order of Melchizedek. And it's just what the Old Testament prophesied and predicted. So this is what the Apostle Paul is doing here. And not only that, there were Gentiles who were converted too. And there were Judaizers who came in and told them, you have to be circumcised. You really have to go to the temple. You have to go through all this ritual. You really had to give place to the offerings and to Aaron and all the rest. And so the Judaizers and they were playing up this visibility of the temple and the priesthood. And Paul and the early preachers they had to continually keep saying, Look, the priesthood has changed, and these shadows will soon be gone for good. And so this is what this, this chapter is all about. They might say then, well, why not Aaron? Why not a priest on earth? Why not put our faith and trust in these things that we can see? But we can't see Christ at God's right hand. And that's why Paul is constantly focusing about faith. The need for faith. Hebrews 11 and all of that. All those good people of faith they couldn't even see. But they believed. And we see Jesus by faith. And we keep looking to Jesus by faith. And, and Paul keeps telling us, consider him. Consider him. And we always have to consider him by faith as one at the right hand of of God that has passed into the heavens. And then, of course, there is this problem of continuity and descent, Because the Jews, they could see that Messiah is the son of David. And they could see that Messiah is the king. and, And they had no problem with a king Messiah. But David was no priest. And the priestly line was not in the tribe of Judah. As the apostle goes on to say here in chapter 7. The priestly line was in the tribe of Levi. And so they were confused. How could this be? How could Christ be king? Messiah king of Judah? We can understand that. But how could he be high priest? Because he doesn't belong to Levi. He's not linked with Aaron. Aaron. He's not linked with the Mosaic law in the establishment of the priestly office. He can't be from Levi and Judah. That would mean a change of priesthood. And so they say, well, where's that in the Bible? That's why he goes to Psalm 110. That's why this whole epistle is about that. Psalm 110. At the right hand of God, not only as a king, but as the priest. Here it is in Psalm 110. The change of priesthood. You see God never said to Levi. Or to Aaron. Of thy seed. Will I raise up a priest. Onto the throne. It was never said to them. That Messiah would come of their line. It was said to David. Of thy seed I raise up a king on your throne. An eternal king. But it was never said to Aaron and Levi. That of their loins would come. An eternal priest. Because. It's been predicted that there will be a change of priesthood. A change. And so this eternal priesthood was never promised to Aaron. Never was. It was only promised to Christ. And it was promised to him directly. And it was promised to him with a solemn oath. Jehovah said unto him and he swore. Thou art a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. Not after Aaron. There must be a change of priesthood. Or Psalm 110 is false. And if Psalm 110 is false. The Bible is false. And Christ is false. But the Bible is true. And Christ is true. Well why do that then? Why must God pass the Levitical priesthood? Why did God bring in the priesthood of Christ? And the answer is because of the powerlessness and the imperfection of the Aaronic priesthood. It was only a priesthood for earth. And those priests, they only did their job for 20 years. You went into the priestly office at 30 and you left when you were 50. It was a short career. Now the high priest would have been older, of course. Paul then is not bringing Melchizedek in out of his own imagination. He's not making this up. He says, here it is in Psalm 110, verse 4, Jehovah said it himself. God uttered it, and he uttered it in a way that all the universe has to know it because he uttered it with an oath. He swore, which God doesn't often do, just on a couple of occasions about very important matters. And one of them is about this eternal priesthood. With an oath. And so there is, there is to be a change. Of priesthood. But Paul does not only go to Psalm 110. You will notice here that he goes to where Melchizedek is first mentioned. In, in Genesis chapter 14. Verse 1 of Hebrews 7. For Melchizedek king of Salem, priest of the most high God. Met Abraham. Returning from the slaughter of the kings. So he expounds Genesis 14 as well. He first mentions Psalm 110 in earlier chapters. And then he goes to Genesis 14. Because that's what the Lord wants us to do. That's what Bible study is all about. That's what biblical theology is all about. If God mentions Melchizedek in the psalm, in the psalter. Then we have to do the trip to where he's first mentioned. That's biblical theology. That's going to to the sources. Because that's what God intends. He just doesn't bring Melchizedek out of the blue. And make it all up. No he's referring to the historic past. There's something about this man. in the historic past. That has to be noted. I make him my son a priest. After the order of Melchizedek. And so God wants us to go to Genesis 14 as well. And this is how biblical theology is done. Linking up all the texts. That the Holy Spirit gives to us that act with the same theme and study them all together and coming to a deeper understanding of the new covenant and the salvation that we have in Christ. And this is how we talk to a Jew, you see. If you're witnessing to a Jew, probably one of the best things you could do is give him a New Testament. And that we would want to do, give the New Testament to the Jew. Let him see how the apostles interpret the Hebrew Scriptures. That will open his eyes if he reads the New Testament and studies it. But unfortunately, most of the Jews won't read the New Testament and study it. And therefore, you're going to have to speak to them with a verse or two just. Just to get them thinking. Just to quote their scriptures. And to get them thinking about Messiah, about Christ. One of the ways to do that is the way Paul does this. We could go to Psalm 110. And we can say to the Jew, you see here Psalm 110, David's Lord, don't you know this is Messiah? Yes, of course we know that's Messiah. David's son, David's Lord, they don't really understand what it means, but they know it's Messiah. Well, like at say, sir, Messiah, he's going to be eternal priest a ever priest after the order of Melchizedek. Has that been fulfilled? And they said, no. But well, we will say, yes, it has been fulfilled and we will show how it's been fulfilled. Jesus Christ rose, he ascended from the dead, and he rose into heaven, and he was set down at the right hand of God. This is when this happened. psalm 110 is all fulfilled, and he is there a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know that priest king who, who met Abraham? He's a priest after the order of that man. And we said to the Jew, "We have now this priest king. We have this one now that we're trusting in and believing in, and who's bringing to us this salvation. This is the Messiah and it's fulfilled in him. And he's now at God's right hand. And then we could say to the Jew, well, your temple's been destroyed and you don't even know who, of what tribe you're from anymore and there'll never be an Aaronic priesthood anymore and for 2,000 years there's been no priesthood. How is your covenant keeping God? Dealing with that. Where's Messiah. Where's your priest? Where's your king? 2,000 years without a temple. 2,000 years without Mosaic worship. 2,000 years without Levitical worship. Without sacrifices, without atoning blood. 2,000 years your covenant-keeping God. And we have to say, well, you see, he is a covenant-keeping God because he has fulfilled it all in Jesus Christ. And the priesthood has been changed And now Jesus Christ is the eternal, the ever priest in glory who saves us that believe in him, the true reigning Messiah who will bring us into the new heavens and the new earth when he brings in all his redeemed. And we can witness to the Jew and get him thinking about all of this. And we we say, you see, the Messiah can only be Jesus Christ 2,000 years. Now this Melchizedek, and we're thinking of the historical Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14, that Paul spends so long on in this chapter, we can't look at every verse and every word, he tells us that this Melchizedek is himself greater than Aaron. This mysterious person, in verse 3, he's without father, he's without mother, he's without descent, he doesn't have beginning of days or end of life, but he's made like unto the Son of God abideth a priest continually. You see, God has put Melchizedek into the history in a very unusual way. Everybody has a genealogy in Genesis. Everybody you know who their father was and their mother was and their generations, all full of genealogies. And we all read, he died, he died, he died. But here's a strange character who appears on the scene. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know his descent. We know nothing of his pedigree. We don't read that he dies. We just read that he's a priest. A king priest. Which Aaron could never be. He could only be a priest, but they could never be king. But here's a man who's a king priest. And there are some people who think that it actually is a theophany. A pre-incarnation appearance of Christ. I don't think that. I think he's just pulling him out of the history narrative. And saying he has none of these pedigrees. None of these links. The Holy Spirit hasn't included these things. Because he wants to set him forth. As as someone who is unique amongst all those darkened Canaanites. Here's a man who's a king priest who knows God, and we don't read of his priesthood beginning and we don't read of his priesthood ending. We just know that's what he is he's a king priest. And he pictures Christ because of that. And he's so great that Abraham gives him times. He gives him the tenth. Uh, And he's greater than Abraham because of that. He's before Aaron. He's before the law. He's before Moses. He's contemporary with Abraham, who is the father of Israel, and the father of all the Hebrews, and the father of all the Jews. And here's the father of all the Hebrews, and he's coming, and he's giving tithes. The tenth to this priest, this priest of God. Because the tithe, you see, isn't a mosaic thing. Although Some people say, oh, Christians shouldn't tithe. That was just the law of Moses. That's nonsense. It was before the law of Moses. It was before Aaron. It was before Moses. Here's a priest getting a tenth before Levi. In fact, Levi is in the loins of Abraham, part of the seed of Abraham, who hasn't come out yet. He's in the loins of Abraham. And Levi... The whole house of Abraham, including Levi, they're paying to Melchizedek the tithe. I'm not going to point out all the verses, but this is what Paul is saying in this chapter. We're just trying to cover it quickly. And this priest blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave a tenth of all to this man. And notice he says that the patriarch Abraham, he brings in that name, even the patriarch Abraham, Give the tenth to Melchizedek. The priest blessed Abraham. And Paul says. It's evident that. It's always the lesser person. Who's blessed of the greater. It's the greater one who gives the blessing. And this priest blessed Abraham. Great Abraham. The father of all the faithful. And here's Melchizedek. Blessing him. Laying his hands upon him. Giving him the blessing of the benediction upon him. Because he's the priest. The priest of God. And Abraham has to look up to him. And Abraham has to give the tithes to him as unto God. And so this shows the superiority of Melchizedek over the Aaron priesthood. Because the Aaron priesthood is later. The Aaron priesthood comes out of Abraham. And this high priest is, is blessing all of that, over all of that. And all of that is later. This is what Paul is bringing out. So Christ can't be after the order of Aaron. That's lesser. He has to be of the order of something greater, of a greater magnitude. There has to be a change of priesthood. Melchizedek in Genesis 14 proves it. And what is more, this Levitical priesthood, because it isn't out of the tribe of Judah, it cannot be associated with Christ because Judah didn't attend at the altar and Judah didn't offer the sacrifices. Verses 3 and 14 of Hebrews 7 He of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of whom no man give attendance at the altar for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. So there can't be a change of kinghood, that's clear, that comes through Judah. But there must be a change of priesthood. It can't come through Levi. Notice the name Paul gives to Jesus in verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Now, one thing Paul does in this epistle is he very carefully chooses all the names of Jesus when he uses them. He is most thoughtful about this. And he doesn't say Jesus came out of Judah. He doesn't say Christ came out of Judah. He says our Lord. Our Lord came out of Judah, you see. It's David's Lord. He's thinking of Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord. It's the Lord that came out of Judah. And David's Lord is even before Melchizedek. Though ordained after the order of Melchizedek. You see, the Jews might say, well, you know, was David not out of Abraham's loins as well? Was the tribe of Judah not out of Abraham's loins too? And Jesus has just descended from Abraham and he's, because he's born later on down the generations and therefore he's an Abraham and he's giving tithes on to Melchizedek. No, it's not the same because he's our Lord. He's not just an ordinary man like Aaron is or like anybody else in the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Levi. He sprang out of Judah, out of the tribe like nobody else sprang out of it. He's our Lord that sprang out of it, you see. And so he's not just Jesus after a lesser David, but he is David's Lord who sprang out of Judah. David's son, yes, according to the flesh, but David's Lord according to the divine person of the Son of God. And so he did not spring out as Aaron sprang out of Levi. He sprang out as the Lord out of Judah. King of Judah. And descending from Judah. But priest, not descending from Aaron. Priest after the order of Melchizedek. An eternal and unchangeable priesthood. So there must be a change of priesthood. And there must be a change of law. There must be something after Moses. Another priest must arise as verse sixteen says, not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. So he's an eternal priest because he has the power of an endless life. How does he have the power of an endless life? He did what nobody else ever did. He rose from the dead, and he lives forever. And he's enthroned at the right hand of God. And God gave him an oath. You are now the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he lives on that power of an endless life. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He continueth a priest. He abideth on a priest eternally. And the Torah, the law, did not raise up a priest like that. And so Aaron had no oath. Verses 20 to 21 Inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath. But this with an oath. By him that said unto him the Lord swore and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so that, that is only fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And what is more the Levitical priesthood lies under the power of death. What does verse 23 say? There were many priests. The Levitical priesthood, there were many, there were plenty of them, there were scores and scores and scores of them, uh, and they weren't allowed to continue because they died. That's why there had to be dozens of them in the temple, because they were dying all the time. The next generation come, they were priests, and then they died as well. They truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue. But this man, he has an unchangeable priesthood. And verses 24 to 28 particularly can only be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Priests of Aaron could not do these things. Priests of Aaron, for example, in verse 26, were not holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. There never was a priest like that. I mean, we'd be looking at Eli's life. He wasn't sinless, he wasn't undefiled, he wasn't separate from sinners. He he didn't do what he ought to have done. He wasn't a faithful priest. And all the priests were like him. There was never a perfect, sinless, harmless, utterly faithful priest. It couldn't be fulfilled in the Levitical priesthood. There has to be a change of priesthood. To give us one who can be this. Faithful and harmless and undefiled. And especially made higher than the heavens. Exalted to the glory of the Father at the right hand. That can only be Jesus Christ. It can only be fulfilled in him. And their consecration was temporary. What does it say there in verse 28? For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law, that is after Moses, at the resurrection of Christ, maketh the Son who is consecrated evermore. So their consecration was temporary. It ceased at death. But Christ's consecration is eternal, and it commenced at his resurrection and ascension, at the divine oath. So Jesus Christ is a reality congregation. He's the only Savior, the only Redeemer, the only one who fulfills the picture in Psalm 110. And, and that's one of the great Psalms that we have to bring to the Jew. And get him to read and to study and to think about. And you have to keep prodding him about it and, and bringing it to him. And the Spirit of the Lord may open his eyes and take away the veil and he'll see Christ. He'll see Christ. So Aaron and his descendants fail to have all these standards and measures that are referred to in this chapter. And as I say, I don't want to go into it in detail. I just want to cover it one flying sermon. To head it home to your heart and to your mind. What does all of this mean then? Well, it means for a converted Jew who was thrown out of the synagogue and who was cut off from earthly priests, as, as some of these Jews found themselves when this epistle was written, it means for him, wonderful comfort. Wonderful comfort. because of "Throw me out, but you know something? I don't need this priesthood after the law. I have the priesthood after the divine oath. I have the priesthood of an eternal, ever-living, unchangeable priest, Jesus Christ. And so it was comfort for the Jews who were being persecuted and who were being cut off from, from the temple worship and synagogue worship and all that Judaism had to offer. So it was comfort. And for Jews now, it means that they ought to see Why they have had no priesthood for 2,000 years. I mean the Jews ought to just think about it. They've been through so much. They've been through the Holocaust. They've been through all these terrible slaughters. All of this is happening to them. And none of them ever say. Where is our covenant keeping God? Who gives us a priest and a redeemer and Messiah? Where is he? 2,000 years And we don't even have the shadows. We don't even have the offerings. It's all been done away and and for 2,000 years. I mean, they ought to really be asking questions. Do you not think it could be Jesus? Would you not even begin to seriously think it might be Jesus? If they'd only begin to question and to think about this, then we can go in there with the gospel, with the New Testament. And show them how the apostles interpret the Old Testament scriptures. And for us, congregation, it means what wonderful confidence we can have in the Bible. What wonderful confidence we could have in the word of God. Even if we only had the four gospels and the Old Testament scripture. Without all the apostolic explanation of it in the writings of Paul and the apostles. You know, we can have wonderful comfort. Because we can see that it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. These things are in the Bible. Genesis 14 and Psalm 110. What a marvelous Bible we have. And how the Lord has set it off all before us. For our confidence. This isn't commonly devised fables. Biblical theology is the mind of the Holy Spirit. Bringing to us assurance and comfort. That it's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we we ought to look to him. And we ought to keep our hope in Jesus Christ. And we ought not to be shaken in our faith. We have such confidence. That Christ rose from the dead. That he fulfilled all that is said. In Psalm 16 and Isaiah 53 and Psalm 110. And so many scores and scores of other prophecies. Our hope is in Christ. Who has fulfilled the word of God. And does... Brought in the salvation and the righteousness. So it means that we can have confidence in him. and None of these Jewish arguments have any weight at all. Because it's all fulfilled according to the word of God. So keep on believing in Jesus. Keep on having confidence in your Redeemer. And know that he's living. He's alive. And you can have fellowship with him. And you can daily and ought to daily come to him and commune with him and talk with him and be face to face with him and be comforted by his Holy Spirit as you have his word of promise before you. The Lord comforts us as we fellowship with this risen eternal priest that we have at God's right hand. Aren't we a blessed people? are we so blessed to have a living saviour, a living eternal redeemer a God's right hand that we have access to and he's opened up the whole throne of God as we said this morning we can come right in into the presence of a holy God. Imagine that us, us wretched sinners us vile, defiled unclean men and women and young people because of our redeemer priests We can come right in with boldness, confidence. So do so, brethren and sisters. Do so. Let us pray.